You're listening to episode 13 of Rainbow Baby, a podcast documenting a journey of pregnancy after loss. I'm your host, Taylor Bates. In May 2018, my first child, Ellis, was stillborn at 31 weeks for unknown reasons. In the depths of unimaginable grief, my husband Hunter and I knew we wanted to try again. Since then, we've experienced new pregnancies and more loss. We're still hoping for our rainbow baby, which is defined as a baby born subsequent to a miscarriage, stillbirth, or the death of an infant from natural causes. I want to share my story with you because life after pregnancy loss can be so isolating. You'll also hear conversations with others who've walked this path before me. This episode is my conversation with Shannon Pike, a friend and fellow lost mama who I originally connected with through Instagram after our babies were stillborn just 11 days apart. Shannon and her husband Edward since experienced the devastating miscarriage of their twins, and most recently, in fall 2019, Shannon gave birth to their rainbow baby Freya. Shannon shares her relationship to both pain, joy, fear, and anxiety, and how she was able to stay present while pregnant with her rainbow baby. Ultimately, Shannon realized that she couldn't put all her hope in another baby, and instead needed to cultivate hope unattached to outcome. Shannon's journey of spiritual growth through darkness has been such a light to me, and I know it will be for you too. She also shares many helpful ways she coped with pregnancy after loss that I hope to mirror one day when I'm pregnant again too. Here's the episode. Hi, Shannon. Hi. Thank you for being here on the podcast with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. Excited to catch up with you. So I'm actually at Shannon's house in Austin, Texas, um, and we met a little over a year ago um, through Instagram because our babies, Ellis and Marie, were stillborn just 11 days apart. Um, May... 20th, 2018 was Ellis, and May 31st, mm-hmm. 2018 was Marie. Um, and we actually found each other through Instagram, of all places. Um, I can't remember even how. Yeah, I don't remember the like the exact moment we clicked or connected, but I remember stumbling across you, and I looked at one of your pictures, and the location on it was San Antonio. And I know you were the first person I realized was in Texas, so, yeah. um, and especially in close to Austin, so it was like oh my gosh, this is happening to somebody right here in my, you know, neighborhood, Yeah, basically. Um, so immediately felt like I've got to meet her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I think you reached out and mm-hmm. said, can we meet up? And I was like, yes. <laughs> um, and we met halfway at San Marcos and had lunch and um, talked for several hours. And I remember it was the first time I felt like I mean, I felt okay because I saw you and you looked okay. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I must be okay too. (laughs) Yeah, I remember you looked so cute. uh, And it was like, and you just had, you know, you glow. You have like a light about you. And really it was like the first time I felt like, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm still alive. We're still alive and we're going to be okay. Yeah. And really the first time I think talking to you where hope felt truly tangible. It was kind of like something... (laughs) Something we talked about, uh, you know, in the wake of losing Marie, but it never really felt real until I got to like look into the eyes of somebody else who was living it. Yeah, and was also finding ways to hold on to hope. Yeah. yeah. Well, and speaking of hope, we have Freya here <laughs> with us, who's Shannon's rainbow baby. She just wants some time on the mic. <laughs> yes. Um, so if you hear a sweet little baby, that's who it is. Um, 
So, well, I guess our stories um, have been aligned in a lot of ways just from that. Um, <laughs> we also have August, who <laughs> Shannon's dog with us. <laughs> he also wants to be a part of August. Uh, yes. um, so, yeah, our grief journeys have really aligned. And that day that we met, um, you were also pregnant with twins. I don't think you knew that at I the time. I didn't know that it was twins, no, but I had just found out that I was pregnant like 10 weeks after I had lost Marie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to have Shannon share, um, the stories of all of her babies today. Um, but I've really loved following you and being connected with you because I feel like we have just been so aligned in kind of our spiritual journeys too. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't know how you feel about this, but I kind of, I've observed that there are kind of two, um, maybe groups within the pregnancy loss community. This is just my personal observations. I don't know if, you know, I don't want to offend anyone, but it seems like my perception is that there are kind of two, two different groups. One group is able to, at whatever point is natural for them, start to accept their lost and loss and, and find ways to be hopeful about the future. And another group seems like they can't accept the loss. They don't want to accept the loss. And um, it makes it really hard to live in the present moment. And they're only living kind of in that, in the past of what happened. Mm-hmm. And I know that I've been there, I've been in those places, but it, it breaks my heart to see people kind of just stay there. Mm-hmm. And so that's um, what I've, what's been so good to follow your journey is because you're, you seem to be in that place that I want to be too, of, um, of being hopeful. And of course, like we wish that, that, that we didn't lose our babies, mm-hmm. but that is what happened. So and I think, yeah, I think the word, even though like the word acceptance can be difficult for a lot of people because there's this feeling from the outside circle outside society that acceptance means that you're, that it's okay. Yeah. Like it's okay that it happened. And I, um, but to me, that's not necessarily what acceptance is. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, these are the cards I've been dealt and now I need to figure out how to make my life something beautiful and meaningful moving forward. Even, even though this horrible thing happened to right. me. Yeah. So that's how I think about acceptance. But yeah. I know, and I think we, maybe we'll talk about this, but semantics and, you know, word choice is such a, touchy and important topic in the lost community. Um, I think just simple words can be really triggering for people. And that's, that breaks my heart too. And mm-hmm. I've, I've certainly lived it and continue to live that, um, in many situations. So it's tough. It, there's just no good vernacular yeah. for a loss this traumatic right. that, that cuts you this deep. Yep. So, well, so that's a great, um, jumping off point because I would love to start with your definition of a rainbow baby. Mm-hmm. To me, the definition of a rainbow baby uh, for me is is pretty simple. Um, a baby born, adopted, brought into a family one way or another after a loss at any point in a pregnancy. Um, so to me, it's that's pretty simple. I think what gets more complex for me is kind of the the um, the meaning behind the term rainbow baby. Um, I think. Some people see it as once the rainbow's here, the storm is over, um, and I don't see it that way. I think of you know my most favorite rainbows to see in the sky are the ones that are up with a backdrop of a dark, stormy cloud that's still there. Um, 
And I think that that's representative of the fact that we, you know, we move forward with this beautiful rainbow in our life, but that dark time is still very much a part of us. And it's kind of woven into the fabric of who we are and in that landscape of who we are. Um, so for me, that meaning kind of bring, takes on a, a little bit of more of a nuanced definition mm-hmm. um, for rainbow baby. I also think, you know, just because Freya is considered my rainbow baby, it doesn't mean Marie was the storm or the dark cloud. Mm -hmm. What happened to her was, and that's how I see it. Um, The fact that she died and she's not with us now, that pain, that is the storm. Um, And that's kind of still, I think it will be raging in some capacity for the rest of my life. Um, But we do have this beautiful rainbow baby here to to help us find some light and joy Mm -hmm. in that darkness. I love that visual of the rainbow against the backdrop of the storm, like where the storm is still present. Mm-hmm. I haven't um, thought about it from that perspective, but that's really beautiful. Um, so I, I love knowing everyone's different um, definition of that term. And because I think, like you said, it, we the vernacular is so tricky. And, um, and so we kind of take these things loosely and then we figure out what they mean to us. Um, so... Tell us Marie's story. Yeah. So, you know, Marie's story began, I think, like any other typical um, middle-class white couple. Uh, I think our story, and I just wrote something about this recently, our story was very average. You know, uh, my husband, Edward, and I got married in 2015. Uh, We knew each other in high school. Um, We had a lot of the same friends. I've known him since I was like 13 years old. We started dating in college and our, you know, the progression of our relationship was very similar to your kind of your typical American story. Um, So a couple years in, I believe, yes, we were married in 2015, got pregnant in 2017 with Marie after a very easy time of trying. Um, We basically decided, hey, we're going to let this happen. And within a couple of months, I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And it was, I think... We were, we knew that was a possibility, but when it happened, I was really excited and, and Eddie was a little bit freaked out. Like, oh my <laughs> yeah. God, this happened way faster than I was thinking it was going to happen. Um, because, you know, in all honesty, we weren't really trying super hard for it to happen. Um, so that was in September of 2017 and the pregnancy was honestly almost effortless. It was healthy, average. I mean, we couldn't pinpoint a single thing about my pregnancy with Marie that was out of the ordinary. Um, and at the time I was a bar instructor and working full-time as marketing manager for the, for pure bar, the studio here in Austin that I worked for. And I was teaching five classes a week. And, um, so I was exercising all the time before I got pregnant with Marie, you know, I'd been an athlete and been into fitness for my whole career and I was in the best shape of my life and feeling really good. So it was one of those, you know, I was like meditating and eating healthy and I had a rough first trimester, but after that felt really great and exercised all the way up to 37 weeks and everything just looked perfect with her. So we went through all the typical steps, you know, we had a a baby shower and got our nursery all ready and we had bought a house the year before I got pregnant on the house we're in now. So we were kind of just working on making that a home and really just preparing our lives with a lot of love for her. And we're so ready and so excited. Um, there was a little bit of fear because, you know, in our careers, we weren't exactly where we thought we would be when we were having our first baby. So there was kind of this, um, unknown of, we didn't know if we were going to stay in Austin. We're originally from Wisconsin. So that was kind of a big looming thing at the end of my pregnancy as we were thinking we might have this baby and then need to move back to Wisconsin to have more support from our families. So, and really I share that because 
we had this vision for our life that was wrapped around Marie and we were preparing for all of these big things. Like we were really thinking about getting our house in the market and really saw ourselves back where we grew up and with closer to our families and friends. And then, um, everything changed when we found out that we lost her. So, and our lives look worlds different now, um, in a lot of beautiful ways and a lot of hard ways. Um, but so we were, you know, at the end of the pregnancy and I had, um, a desire for a natural birth. So my plan was to just allow myself to go into labor naturally. And around 39 weeks, I started to get really uncomfortable. You know, the tough, just last couple weeks of pregnancy, I think is hard on most people. Really uncomfortable, really excited. <laughs> yeah, it's uncomfortable to be pregnant. <laughs> um, so I was about 39 weeks when I started to get uncomfortable and um, anxious and ready to go. And then um, I hit 40 weeks. And I, I think this is kind of, to me, a significant part of my story. Um, I had my 39-week appointment a few, a few days after I had hit 39 weeks. And then my 40-week appointment, I wanted to schedule for the day after I hit 40 weeks, which was a Monday, but that happened to be Memorial Day. So when I was, you know, at reception trying to schedule that 40-week appointment, she said, oh, that's Memorial Day. Um, we're not in the office. Uh, your doctor is booked Tuesday and isn't in on Wednesday. And so I, she said, you can do Thursday or you can see another doctor earlier in the week. And I said, well, I want, I want to see my doctor. This is my 40-week appointment. It was, you know, big decisions could have been being made. Um, she may have advised an induction and I had planned on turning that down if that was offered to me. But so I saw my doctor at 39 weeks and everything looked beautiful. Heart sounded good. Um, and then Memorial Day passed and last few days just hanging out at home with my family. And then Thursday morning was supposed to be my 40 week appointment. Um, and I remember when I was at reception making that appointment, I said, doesn't that seem a little late? 40 weeks, four days, like that's a little bit past where I'd like to see them. And the receptionist just kind of shrugged and looked yeah. at me like, well, you know, you could see the other doctor, like I said. Um, but I ultimately made that decision to wait. So the morning of Thursday, May 31st, I woke up early in the morning and was having contractions. And I thought it kind of really felt like, okay, this, this is going to be it. It's going to be today. So I got up and I had some breakfast and it was very early. I was just tracking some my contractions and my parents had been staying with us for a couple of weeks. Um, and up to that, they had given us some space that, that week leading up to Thursday, um, just to kind of be together and be chill. But that morning they were both around and, um, my dad's an ER physician. My mom is a nurse or oh, wow. used to be a nurse. So yeah, with medical background in my family. So they were, you know, very involved in the questions and making sure I was okay and all that. So they happened to be up with me super early in the morning and um, I was timing those contractions and I got up and I went to the bathroom and I just felt a gush and my water had broken. Um, so I kind of, I, I, you know, ran to the bathroom and realized something looked a little off about the water. It had kind of just some green stuff in it. And mm. I had read about that and heard about it in my, my birthing class. Um, so meconium was in the water. And, you know, at this point, I, I was not even thinking about this, but the last time I really had felt Marie move was the night before when we were going to bed. Um, we were all kind of watching TV and hanging out and Eddie and I were sitting and watching her move across my belly. And that's just a really vivid memory of mine. Um, that last night of us watching her move and, you know, he felt her and saw her, I like, pulled my shirt up and her foot moved down my belly. It was the coolest thing ever. Um, so, but I wasn't really thinking about that in the morning, you know, I went to bed and I had felt her when I went to bed and then from the time I woke up that morning, I hadn't felt anything, but didn't really register that. I was just focused on timing contractions. So I called, um, I called the on-call doctor and let her know my water broke and there was meconium in it. Asked her if I should be concerned. She said, no, you know, mm -hmm. you can take a shower. You can just get your bag together and, and come to the hospital. 
So we were super excited. Um, and I'll also never forget, we, we were walking out the door. My, my parents were here to watch the dog and, and be at the house. And I said, the next time you see me, I'll be a mama. <laughs> so, um, and, and what I didn't realize at the time was I already was a mom, you know, very much so. So I think that's a huge shift once you experience the losses, you realize you're a mom the moment you have that, see that positive pregnancy test. Um, so we went to the hospital and that drive, I have my last picture of me pregnant and smiling. Um, Eddie snapped a picture of me at a stoplight and I texted some friends that, you know, my water broke. This is it. Everyone had been waiting, you know, I was past my due date. So uh, we got to the hospital and we walked up and we got settled in our room and um, everything was very normal, slow, quiet. I remember thinking that labor and delivery was very calm. I was expecting kind of like chaos and um, a little more hustle and bustle, but it was very calm got me settled and Eddie was setting up, um, like our, our speaker cause I wanted to have music and was getting our birth plan out. And, um, at the time the nurse was pushing the monitor around my belly and she asked me, I was kind of not really paying attention. I was paying attention more to what Eddie was doing, getting the room set up. And she asked me where the baby hides and if she, and at that time we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl either. We had waited the whole time to find out. Um, I asked if the baby was head down at my last appointment. I said, yes. Um, and then I kind of started to get worried. Like, why is this taking so long? And I, I kind of thought she caught the heartbeat and she thought she did too, but it turned out to be mine. Mm. And then she said, um, I'm just having some trouble. I'm going to, I'm gonna just going to call in an ultrasound to have them take a look. And at that point it was kind of like the air left the room. And I don't, I think I was probably in denial that anything was going, was going wrong, but in my core, I knew something was not right. And an ultrasound tech came in with the portable ultrasound and I called Eddie over and he took my hand and I was just kind of shaking and freaking, you know, starting to freak out, but it sort of still felt like that calm and quiet. There was mm -hmm. just no chaos going on. No one was rushing. And I think when you think of something going wrong, you think of like the trauma room, the ER, what you see on TV, people rushing around with carts and none of that was happening. And I kind of started to like build my anxiety. Like if something's wrong, like why aren't people moving quickly? Mm -hmm. It just was very unsettling. And the ultrasound tech put the ultrasound on my belly or the monitor on my belly. And I looked at the screen and I could, I remember seeing like her rib cage and I didn't see anything moving. It, everything was just still. Um, and she said the way that she phrased that, I know this is, this, I feel like this is important to a lot. Every lost mama kind of was like the phrase that is repeated in your head. But she said, I don't see any cardiac activity, hmm. um, which almost, I understand exactly cognitively what that means. That means there's no heart activity, but just the way it was said didn't feel like, didn't feel like someone was delivering news to me. It was just kind of like an observation. Right. And I just remember getting really breathless and I was like, what? And the nurse who was really sweet and ultimately ended up being at Freya's birth. Oh, <laughs> she was amazing. That's so sweet. Yeah. Um, she said, you know, don't, don't panic. Uh, we're going to call your doctor. She's the expert. Mm. But it, so it was like, no one had officially said your baby's gone Yeah. Um, or I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat. Like, but she had said there's no cardiac activity. Obviously I know that means that she was dead. Right. So I, um, we waited and my doctor, I feel like my doctor showed up within minutes. I don't know how I, she was on her way in, but her face just kind of said it all when she walked in the door and she was really out of breath. Um, and she was super sweet and you know, we connected throughout my pregnancy and she sat on my bed and she said, Shannon, I'm really concerned about what we saw on the ultrasound, so I'm going to take a look, okay? And 
she did the same thing the tech had done and her hand on my shin is like this really visceral memory Mm -hmm. her putting her hand on my shin and she said Shannon I'm so sorry this is extremely rare but we lost the baby Mm -hmm. and it was just the most shocking unreal experience of my life I mean I unbelievable um I could not believe this was happening to me I just broke down. Um, Eddie was right there. We both were crying. I mean, it was, and the room was still quiet. There was still kind of this underlying like current of like, why are people rushing around? Why isn't someone ripping this baby out of me and reviving her, you yeah. know? But it was just like, it's over. Yeah. It's, it's done. It's over. Um, the rest of the day is parts of it are a blur and parts of it are vivid. I, you know, I wrote out my birth story shortly after we got home from the hospital because I wanted to remember. And I've only gone back once to read it and mm. it's, it's difficult to read, you know, but every memory, every, every detail is like there in that writing. But I think now it's kind of starting to become a little bit more foggy, but I was, um, basically induced, even though my water had broken, they wanted to get things going. We made the decision to deliver vaginally if we could. Um, and Eddie put out the text to our family and just said, you should all come to the hospital now. Um, he didn't say why. And Mm. my parents thought I was dead. Oh yeah. And I think in, in hindsight, I wish that I would have been, that both of us would have been more, I don't know, just with it mentally to yeah. think that, okay, we need to communicate what's going on. But he didn't want them to be freaking out. Like, he didn't want them to be driving to the hospital distraught. Right. Which is why he said, just come now. It's not it's not good. Um, you're going to want to get to the hospital. We don't want them freaking out that the baby was gone. Right. Not even thinking that they would think something yeah. was wrong with me. So the whole drive to the hospital, they thought, my mom thought I was dead. And oh. my dad was driving and trying to keep her calm. And we live in Austin. Traffic is terrible. It was just, yeah, it was not good. And they walked in to my room. I don't, I have no idea how much time had passed. And my mom saw me and she said, did you deliver the baby? And I, I never, I'll remember, or I'll never forget like snapping at her. Like, no, I didn't deliver the baby. Like I was still pregnant sitting there, but she said, I thought you were dead. And she just kind of collapsed on the bed. And I said, did, did anyone tell you what happened or something like that? And I said, the baby's gone. We mm-hmm. lost the baby. And my parents just lost it. You know, my dad was very emotional in those situations and it was just awful. Um, but they were there and Eddie's parents came and some throughout the day, you know, people shared the news with family and my sister was out of town for work. She got on a flight immediately and flew in. She was also pregnant at the time. Um, my sister-in-law got on a flight, flew in. Um, (laughs) yeah. Hey Freya. Um, and everyone was there by the time Marie was delivered. Um, so I had her at 6.22 p.m. Um, after my water had broken at like 6 a.m. that morning. Mm-hmm. So a 12-hour day, most of it knowing she was gone. Um, and just pure emptiness. And it, the whole day, was it was just awful. I tried to sleep. Um, I had an epidural, so, you know, labor wasn't... I wasn't feeling labor, but I was just exhausted from yeah. crying and sobbing and you know you don't even recognize the sound of your own voice in that situation it was like who what what are these sounds yeah. coming out of me like I've never even heard that before yeah so I had wanted to do a natural birth and skin to skin right when she was born but did you have a doula uh, I did not okay no um Eddie's really good in the in he's just Eddie's great which I haven't talked about at all but <laughs> I like to put that out there he's an amazing human being and he's so good in these situations um he's like the person you want in the room when you're having a baby <laughs> so I felt good about doing everything without a doula because I had him yeah um 
but he was awesome through labor with her. I mean, just right there, like keeping me afloat, keeping me breathing. I mean, just taking care of me and being strong. I don't know how I had, I have no idea how he, how he did it, how he does it, but that's just the way he is. Um, so they asked me what I wanted to do when she was born and they didn't really explain what, like what they meant by that. I think a nurse asked me, uh, like, what would you like to do at delivery? And I was I, I think I said, you can clean her off. And in retrospect, I regret that. I wish I would have just had them put her right on me because until I had Freya and had the experience of laying my baby on my chest, skin to skin, that just like haunted me, the emptiness of not having an experience. So that moment she was born, I remember all the pressure, you know, giving way and her coming out, but I didn't look right away and I just was destroyed. I mean, like I said, the sobbing you don't recognize in that moment and... I remember my doctor saying, you know, something like, no tearing or something like that. And I sobbed like I was meant to have babies or something like that. I don't know. It's it's written in the story. But um, Eddie just held me and we cried and cried and cried. And then it felt like an eternity before they gave me Marie. Um, I waited and waited. But I remember looking across the room and seeing her feet on the table um, laying on the warmer, you know, and just thinking, like, she's got to wake up. Please wake up. Um but obviously that wasn't going to happen. Um, eventually they brought her to me and it's all kind of a blur and a fog. I'm so glad I have pictures because I, I'm not sure I would remember it vividly if I didn't have pictures, who knows, but put her in my arms and it was just like this, it was amazing and awful all at once. I don't know. It's, I think stillbirth is one of those experiences where it's like the epitome of love and pain all wrapped up in one. Like you're seeing your baby for the first time, this baby you've dreamed about looking at and seeing how your genetics mix together. And it's so beautiful, but it's also your dream just completely crumbling in front of you. Um, but holding her was pretty amazing. Um, getting to look at her and see her. and She seemed so big to me. She was eight pounds, three ounces. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just delivered an eight pound baby. Like that's crazy. Um, and Freya was ultimately born at 37 weeks. So she was a little thing six, seven. Um, so yeah, it's just like Marie will forever be like my eight pounder. <laughs> I'm pretty proud of that. Um, but yeah, family kind of came around and then, I mean, the next three days was a lot of just holding, loving, looking at her and taking her in and every little detail, you know, we tried to take pictures of everything and it's just never enough. And I, I love this like quote that I've seen, you know, many lost moms share some variation of it that we all like wish we would have done more in those days, like made more memories. But the reality is you can't fit what you hope would be a lifetime into three days. Mm -hmm. You can't fit a lifetime worth of memories in three days. Yeah. So how did you get to be with her for three days? So my hospital had a cuddle cot. Mm -hmm. Um, so a cuddle cot is just like a cooling unit that's under a bassinet. And you're supposed to leave the baby in that, you know, for extended periods of time, and then you can hold the baby. And it's just a way to keep, um, keep the baby in your room with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kept her in the room with us. Uh, and thankfully there was no questioning around that. They kind of just like supported us doing that That's and urged awesome. us to do that. Yeah. And I'm so glad because you know, I know my, my mom and my mother-in-law were both very skeptical about that decision, you know, in their time when this happened to women, they would take the baby away and mm-hmm. they would never get to see the baby. And mm-hmm. it was basically like, let's pretend this didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Move forward with your life, move on with your life. And they were very worried about me being traumatized by her being in our presence. And ultimately it gave us the the time that we needed to find 
I, I mean, I don't want to say closure because I feel like I'm still finding closure with what happened right. and probably will be for many years, if not my entire life. Yeah. But being able to have memories with her and take pictures and see Eddie holding her and, and feel like we were parents because we were parents mm-hmm. before we had Freya. Uh, you know, we were Marie's parents and, um, I, it was already a difficult identity crisis, not having her here with us. And I just think having those moments and photos to share with those we felt comfortable with and when we felt comfortable has been really important for my, I guess, you know, quote unquote healing journey. Mm-hmm. I think we're always going to be healing from this. Um, but I just think that's such an important thing. So it's kind of like my my PSA for hospitals, for anyone who wants to support bereaved mothers, um, bereaved parents. I think cuddle cots are an amazing gift. And mm-hmm. if it's something you can donate to a hospital or can or urge a hospital to, you know, put funding toward those resources for parents, it's a huge, huge benefit in in just dealing with the awful, awful tragedy and trauma that mm-hmm. is that is still birth. So yeah, we got to have her for three days. And, you know, by, by day three, when I was leaving the hospital, it's like we knew it was time. Her body was given out. And, I mean, she had changed a lot. And it's one thing I kind of struggle talking about with other people, explaining, you know, what happens to the body after the heartbeat is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, she was just perfect and beautiful. But I'm sure there are pictures that are uncomfortable for people to see. And there are many that I don't share Um you know, baby's lips turn dark and their skin is delicate and can peel during delivery. So she had a little bit of that. Her, you know, her, her face looked really great and didn't have any of the peeling, which was nice. Just so we can share pictures without people feeling too uncomfortable, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's just, to me, seeing her that way, it's like, I almost think about like a mother in the battlefield of how, you know, hundreds of years, centuries ago, if your child were to die, like, you would hold them in your arms, and I think any mother would say, if my child was dying, I would hold them in my arms. And it's no different when your child has already died, and it's the only moment you're getting with them. Mm-hmm. So I'm just glad I made that choice to be with her and hold her. Um, times I wasn't holding her, I would get really anxious. I had a full-on panic attack mm-hmm. in the hospital one night, and um, Eddie just said, why don't you hold your daughter? And I put her in my arms, and it was just like the weight of her was like, anchoring me to the earth, you know? Um and that was one of the the absolute really hardest thing to let go of. Mm-hmm. It's just that feeling of her in my arms. So on the last day, we handed her off. Um, we spent you know, the last couple hours alone with her, just Eddie and I. And there were so many, like, amazing, beautiful moments that l- looking back, like, to me, it's it couldn't be anything but, like, divine intervention or, you know, divine messages from her, from God, from the universe, whatever anyone wants to think of it as, like, something greater than us. Mm-hmm. Um the moment that my family was saying like their last goodbyes, my mom was like putting a flower in her bassinet, knocking on heaven's door, came on the, the radio, like wow. the radio, not a playlist I created. And mm. We hadn't played music at all the whole time. It was just too hard, but we have a station we really like in Austin. And, um, that came on and it mm. was like, while my, while all of our family was kind of going through like a receiving line at a funeral, basically mm-hmm. saying goodbye and giving her a kiss and a squeeze, like that song was playing. It was unbelievable. Wow. So, um, the last couple hours we spent alone with her and, um, said goodbye forever, walked her to the nursery and I handed her to the nurse that had taken our pictures for us. And she kind of put her arms out and I I was taken aback. She didn't say anything. And I, and I remember asking, is this it? Mm -hmm. And she's like, just nodded and I handed her and I'll never forget like the image of her turning and walking away. 
and I being the last time I like I could see the top of her head, you know, in the crook of her elbow and that like last view of her. Um, it was awful, so awful. Uh, leaving the hospital, you know, with an empty car seat and just the deafening silence of driving home, being in the front seat, and I had I had I had envisioned every second of that day. Um, me being in the back seat, you know, worrying over her and driving home with her and and that just began a very, very, very difficult uh, journey for us um, than moving forward with life without her in it. Um, yeah, I don't know where, to, I don't even really know where to go from there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe just talk a little bit about your grief journey and then how you and Eddie decided that you were ready to start trying again. Yeah. Um, so right away, thankfully, Eddie is, he's a very much, um, He's just an encouraging person who he, I think he's gentle enough, but also gives enough nudging. So really we, we got out into the world like pretty quickly after, um, getting home. Our family was all kind of around like cooking for us and cleaning. And we pretty much just relaxed, even though it was the least relaxing thing I could possibly think of. Um, sitting in that grief and the hormones and my milk coming in and all the traumatic stuff that you just wish you could get a free pass on. Yeah. Um, because when you have a stillborn baby, you still had a baby and everything postpartum looks exactly the same as mm-hmm. it would if your baby was alive, except you don't have any of the joy to offset kind of the challenging symptoms that happen postpartum. Um, but he got me out the door. We started thinking about ways we wanted to memorialize her. Um, we went, like went to the mall, which I remember thinking it was just like, I just sat in the mall and looked around and saw all the posters of advertisements and sales and obnoxious colors and sounds and smells in the food court. And it was just like sickening. Like it was like, how does this, how does this place even exist in our world? Like how has anyone put effort toward a mall who comes here while I'm sitting there? Like who goes to the mall? And I remember being terrified that someone would see me because we were like five days out and I was so scared. Someone would see me and think like, Oh, she's doing so great. Like I just, that was the last thing I wanted to hear was you're doing so great. Cause I just felt awful. Yeah. Um, but we got out there, we went to that like corny shop where they engrave things and we got bracelets done right away with her name in them. And, um, we eventually ended up getting matching rings with nothing engraved, but they just like, I wear it on my right hand. It's a rose gold ring and Eddie's is yellow gold, just a simple band. Um, just ways to kind of keep her a part of us. And it was kind of like every, every little thing we did felt like kind of like a bandaid or it felt good for a couple hours. And then, you know, you just kind of dip back into that deep grief. So it was just like rinse and repeat, you know, how many, we just need to keep doing things that fill us up because ultimately we know we're going to be emptied. So it was just like, fill yourself up, empty, fill yourself Mm -hmm. up, empty. Um, and just keep one foot in front of the other, keep putting one foot in front of the other with, with things that didn't, suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like do the things that don't make it worse. I love that. One of my friends um, who lost a son says that or said that once. And it just really resonated with me. Like do the things that don't make it harder or don't make it worse. Mm-hmm. Like they may not make it better, but do more of what doesn't hurt. I like that. So yeah, that's how she talks about her puppy. So shout out to <laughs> Mary, <laughs> Will's mom. <laughs> um, yeah. She's like, she, this dog definitely doesn't make it worse. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, we just did everything we could to kind of keep one foot in front of the other. Um, we knew we wanted to try again. That, that really was, you know, on the topic of hope, like after, right after losing Marie, all of our hope truly rested in the idea of another baby. It was like, we're going to try again. We're not going to waste any time. I'm in pregnancy mode. We talked about it in the hospital. We knew like, we're not going to 
weight. And my doctor was on board with that. She said, you can try as soon as your period comes back. And wow, yeah, we basically just decided to start trying. Um, cause you know, I had an uncomplicated delivery and everything was healthy yeah. with me physically. And, um, lo and behold, I was like, let's see, I think it, I think it was August. I'm going to say August 22nd. Fun fact, I found out about all three of my pregnancies on the 22nd of the month. Interesting. For those of you who are like numbers people. (laughs) um, Yeah, the 22nd of three different months each pregnancy, but really bizarre. So August 22nd, I found out I was pregnant um, and it was shocking and nothing felt, nothing felt sure. And I was still, I mean, deeply depressed and in grief. And I just kind of, I always say like, I felt like the color gray, like but it gave me some hope. Um, I happened to be pregnant when my niece was born, which was, I think, looking back, a huge gift. I don't know that I would have been able to walk through some of the things I did around her birth if I hadn't had the hope of that pregnancy um, because it was extremely painful to see, you know, my sister walking in the path that I was supposed to be on. And a lot of, like, a lot of things I did do, like her shower and going to the hospital, like her water broke, um, a few weeks early and I actually went to the hospital and I'm still shocked to this day that I was able to pull myself together enough Mm. to do that. I I like put on my warrior mama t-shirt and I walked into the hospital and it was like, I remember I had to just kind of put tunnel vision on and I walked through labor and delivery and I heard all the baby's heartbeats and Mm. it was like an out of body experience almost. Um, and it wasn't anything like what I wish my presence could have been like for my niece's birth. I wish I could have been there the whole day and helping, but I don't know. I sat with my sister and I was able to listen, you know, sit and hear my mm-hmm. niece in the monitor. And, um, and then I left and like got them food and everything. But honestly, if I hadn't been pregnant, I don't know that I would have been able to do any of that. Mm-hmm. And my presence would have been nothing with mm-hmm. her as far as her birth goes. So I feel grateful for that in retrospect. Um, had an impossible time seeing that after I lost that pregnancy, Mm -hmm. uh, immediately after. So pregnant, um, went in for, I went in early for, um, like some HCG level checks and just to confirm everything. So I had like, we saw the baby really early before it had a heartbeat. And then was that because you were wanting to see it or was your doctor? It was totally me. Yeah. Like, and my doctor was totally encouraging about it. Like, Hey, you come in as much as you want for yeah. reassurance. Um, make sure everything's looking good. And, um, the same doctor that yeah, deli- delivered same me. doctor. I just, I didn't want to deal with telling my story to someone else. Yeah. And I liked my doctor and I felt like we'd been through the trenches together. So I stuck with her, um, which turned out to be a great decision all the way through Freya's birth. Um, but I know it's rare uh, and not always the best decision for a lot of moms. I did change specialists because that I just needed a change of scenery as far as that went. But um, yeah, my doctor was great. So we went in for a lot of appointments leading up. Like we saw before the baby had a heartbeat. Then we saw one baby with a heartbeat and we assumed singleton pregnancy. And then I went back for my eight-week ultrasound and there were two. And it was the most unbelievable. I remember saying, like, we need to be on Oprah. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is crazy. Because, you know, people talk about it like, well, maybe you'll have twins. You know, you lost your first. It'll be this, like, magical thing. And that's really how it felt. And yeah. at that moment, it felt like this is so insanely beautiful and and symbolic that there's no way this pregnancy could not work out. And I still had all the same fear and anxiety, but, like, there was this kind of underlying current of, like, 
I don't know, God has me, the universe has me, like some something's going on here where this was a specific gift for me that we're going to be twin parents mm-hmm. now. Um, and we went back for our, and I was super sick, twin pregnancies, no joke with the hormones. So went back at 10 weeks and both heartbeats were gone. Mm. And that moment was awful. Again, another kind of, you know, worst day of my life. Um, and I think, you know, Marie, losing Marie destroyed me in one way and then losing the twins kind of destroyed me in another way. And that I was talking about how like all of my hope was resting in another baby. I kind of entered into this realm of like, my hope can't rest in a baby. Mm-hmm. I, it's okay to have hope for a baby. And that was good for me at this, but at the same time, my hope for my life, like I couldn't, ha- I couldn't put all of that on having a baby. So the next few months turned into kind of like me working through that and figuring out like, how do I be happy? How can I be happy with the understanding that I may never have a baby or that I may have another loss that anything can happen to anyone that I could die tomorrow, that my husband could die tomorrow. Um, and a lot of that was very unhealthy, like unhealthy thoughts that I needed to experience. Like I needed to sit in those thoughts and experience the, how invalid they are. Like as far as running and controlling your life, I had to sit in that. And I think that's one of the big things I think like people trying to help you heal or get better. It's like, they want you to not think those negative thoughts. But if I hadn't really sat in like the really dark, dark place I sat in from October, November, December, um, I never would have learned how to get out of it mm-hmm. and, and like where to grasp for those straws of hope that will actually turn into lifelines, like where to build my hope. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just don't think I ever would have figured that out. I think it was a, there was a huge step in my like fundamental spiritual, personal, emotional healing that happened during that period of time where it started with like the darkest of the dark, like really bad. Um, and I just had to fight my way out of it. And it was just kind of like day by day, I started figuring things out and got back into my body, got into yoga, started listening to podcasts and reading books. And suddenly things just kind of started to click. It was like everything was a little nugget leading to the next nugget. Mm-hmm. Like this really cool winding, I feel divine path mm-hmm. of like messages. And I listened to a podcast that said one thing and then I would like that would lead me to a book and that book would say something and that would lead me to a song. And then that would lead me to going and trying some restaurant where I would see a sign. Like it just all these really amazing, Mm -hmm. like give you goosebumps, like tears pour out of your eyes, like divine messages. Um, and it really didn't like the most epic one was like, so I, I grew up Catholic. Um, but I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Catholic anymore and I don't consistently go to church or anything. And I haven't, I hadn't been to church in years. Um, but in December I was having really bad anxiety, like manifesting in physical ways. Like I think when you lose a, I lost a pregnancy at full term. I lost a pregnancy in the first trimester. It was like, so when does it ever work out? At what point is it ever okay when you're pregnant? It's really not. Um, and I was just having the severe physical manifestations of anxiety. Like I was like shaking at work one day and Mm. I was really able to keep things together at work most of the time. And just this one day I just couldn't handle it. And it was like the last straw. And I left and that was like, I remember that was the one day I ever took an anxiety pill. Like I took a Xanax that day and I, and Eddie came home from work and it was just so unsettling to be that out of control. Right. Um, not that I, and there's nothing wrong with taking anxiety medication. Yeah. Like I certainly encourage it for anyone who's experiencing it, but I just felt like mine was always manageable and I just couldn't get under control that mm-hmm. day. Um, 
but then, so I was having all this anxiety. I kind of started to write about it. I took a social media break, like really kind of cleared the noise from my life. And then in January, I had a friend text me and I'd been reading all these books about like spirituality and kind of just like different takes on the spiritual world and relationship with God and listening to podcasts. And I had a friend text me in January, one of my closest friends. And she was like, Hey, I haven't been to church in a really long time. Do you want to go? And if she had asked me like three weeks prior, I would have been like, nah, I'm not interested. But I had just read a couple of books that like were really kind of calling me like I need to try something different. And I walked into, and I said, well, where do you want to go? And she was like, I don't care. Just pick one. I literally picked the church that was closest to my house and like seemed the most progressive uh-huh. <laughs> on their website. Yeah. <laughs> and I walked in and up on the screen, it's, it was January, like the first week in January. And up on the screen is this big uh, PowerPoint slide and it says hope and anxiety. Wow. And that was, it's like, could you pick two words that were more like conflicting and more present in my life than hope and anxiety in that moment? And I went the next four weeks and it was this, um, just a four week series about dealing with hope and anxiety when things in your life are really, really hard. Wow. Yeah. I remember sitting there and I was like, how are all the people feeling who like their lives are going really great right now? (laughs) I was kind of like feeling like, God, did you like create this series for me? Because you know, there's like other people in here who need you too. (laughs) But um, it was just this amazing four week series. And there's also like, I'm really into music. I grew up doing music and did in college and their music was incredible. And the lights like, and I had never had that experience in a church. I grew up in the Catholic church, like very stoic and old fashioned and uh, routine and ritual. Um, and this was like people rocking out on stage and like cool light shows. And like, I was getting like, I would get signs and colors, like, uh, you know, Marie's color was pink and like things would happen just at the right word in the song. Like I would get like a burst of pink light and it would, like hit me right in the eyes. Like just things that just you feel in your soul. And like, I don't need to explain or validate them to anyone. Like I know that they're real. And that just felt really transformative for me that month in January I did like a yoga challenge I did 30 days of yoga and um then and that was when we had decided we were going to open ourselves up to trying again that month so it had been three months since my miscarriage um and we decided to try again and we got pregnant that month oh my gosh (laughs) yeah like uh so and again it's another thing I sometimes feel like uh, I feel kind of guilty about like and I think being in the lost parent community a lot of us have these little pieces of guilt in us. Like my story isn't as bad or as hard as her story. Mm. Like I often struggle with the fact that like, I don't struggle to get pregnant. Like mm-hmm. I've gotten pregnant three times with hardly any effort at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then I look back and I'm like, no, you went through a stillbirth and a miscarriage of twins. Like <laughs> yeah. give yourself some credit. Yeah. But I think it just lends itself to the fact that like, we can't play the comparison game mm-hmm. and loss. Like no one's lost. And we were talking earlier today, you know, no one's lost is can be compared to another mm-hmm. all of our stories are so unique and at some point you have to kind of accept that like you'll never align perfectly with anyone else's story mm-hmm. um yours is your own so yeah we got pregnant for a third time with little miss freya here and it was a it was rough um it was a rough pregnancy uh pregnancy after loss two losses at two different gestational ages um one full term, like one first trimester. It's just basically like there just never felt like a safe zone. Yeah. And I really didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was unhappy during my pregnancy, but in retrospect now, when I look back and I think of kind of the level of happiness I've kind of settled into now, I really did not allow myself to 
really dream or believe that she was going to live. And I kind of stand by that. Like, I feel like that was the right choice for me. Mm-hmm. I think it kept me sane through my pregnancy, sane, whatever that means. Like I, I was, I felt crazy mm-hmm. a lot of the times. Um, and I went in a few times freaking out, thinking she was gone. Like I had a Doppler. I counted kicks constantly, which I highly encourage for everyone mm-hmm. in every pregnancy, whether you've experienced loss or not. Like I'm huge, huge, uh, advocate for that like mm-hmm. count kicks if you don't know what that means look it up mm-hmm. like there's plenty of resources um, but I don't know that doctors deliver that to their patients um consistently and the doppler I, that's kind of controversial <laughs> too yes I actually asked my doctor you know when we get pregnant again what do you think about yeah. this and she advised against it mm-hmm. but I can totally I I really want one yeah. so so I'll t- I'll share a little bit yeah. about like my relationship with the doppler yeah. like I my belief is if you are Sorry for you. She's making me hot. Oh, yeah. Um, my, my belief with the Doppler is if you go in kind of with the knowledge that you cannot use the Doppler as like your your way of knowing if the baby's okay, then like I think you just you're okay. Like I found it most helpful from the period of maybe like 15 weeks, which is when my doctor said I'd have an easier time finding the heartbeat. 15 to 20 weeks when movement was really inconsistent, even up until like 24, kind of, it's not very consistent. Um, just to like, I can't feel movement. I right. can't count kicks. Like I feel these tiny little flutters, like what's wrong with me yep. checking the heartbeat. I can't, I, you can't like gauge if something is off with your baby that early gestationally. Yeah. Um, you just can't feel anything. So for me, it just gave me peace of mind in those early weeks, mostly before you can really feel movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but as long as you accept, like, this does not necessarily mean that the baby's okay. And, like, do your research, too. But after then after 24 weeks, I was very much, like, of the mind of her movement is what is telling me if she's okay or not. Like, I need to go off of movement and never the Doppler. So I would use the Doppler, like... If I was freaking out and thinking that her movement was off and I was going to go in, I would use it, like, before I got in the car to, like, calm myself down enough Mm -hmm, to drive, mm -hmm. which for me was, like, really helpful. Um, I just think as long as you're never not going into the doctor because you use the Doppler and you heard a heartbeat, Mm -hmm. like, and then you're just like, oh, I hear a heartbeat. Like, everything's okay. I don't think that is a smart way to use the Doppler. And a lot of organizations would disagree with me and their medical professionals, like, I'm not a medical professional by any means, but that's what my doctor said too. She was like, it gives you, it can give you false yes. comfort. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I never, I just try to keep that top of mind. Like this is not a yeah. way to know if, if the baby's doing well. Movement is the way to know. So I like that idea about using it before you head to your appointment mm-hmm. because that anxiety of going to, even in the, like in this period, these periods of time where I haven't been pregnant, I've still had appointments because my doctor, my OB has wanted to like, just see what's going on Mm -hmm. and check in on me. And I still had that fear that it's like a Mm built-in, you know, like like Pavlov's dog. Like you've been through this how many times? Yes. Not hearing the heartbeat or not seeing the heartbeat. Yeah. It's awful. I brought my Doppler to the hospital when I was induced with Freya um, and checked her heartbeat in the parking garage before we walked in to be induced. Yeah. Because I was like, I cannot have yeah. another experience where I'm laying on that hospital bed right. and someone can't find the heartbeat. Right. Like, I want to kind of know if something's going on yeah. before I go in there. And that was just for me, that that worked really well. It's yeah. funny, I, the Doppler's still in the car. <laughs> and it feels so good to have not had to use that thing. Because, yeah. you know, um, now that I have her here, um, now I can just worry about the outlet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, the sock <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
But yeah, so obviously her pregnancy was just ridden with anxiety and fear a lot of the time. But I think that period of time I took between my miscarriage and trying again, where I like really feel like I made strides spiritually, um, and broke down some walls between me and kind of a higher meaning in life, um, gave me the strength and stamina to get through her pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I could have, I mean, of course I would have gotten through it one way or another, but yeah. I, I felt like I handled it better than I expected. I think cause I just felt like, you know, God's got me, the universe has got me. And by that, I don't mean God's going to deliver me a healthy living baby. Right. I never really allowed myself to rest my hope in that. Right. Like I said, like I always, this is like my thing is like having hope, but unattached to an outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, like hope in something greater than, than this, this tangible kind of like day-to-day life. Like or hope that I'm going to, I'm going to be okay one way or another. Mm-hmm. Like I had to accept, like I was saying before, like I could never have a child biologically myself deliver. Um, I could never have a child that way and I will be okay one way or another. Mm-hmm. Like we will get through this and move forward with it. We'll carry it. And, uh, the universe has me, you know, um, there's, there's a divine, there's a divine factor mm-hmm. at play here. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, we don't know human outcomes. And I think that was what was, that's what still continues to be painful for me as I relate to the rest of society is the assumption that everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think ever telling anyone like, it's going to work out like, and I, or like this specific thing will happen for you. You will have your baby. That's really like problematic to me Mm -hmm. and troublesome because you don't ever know what someone else's outcome is. And I think to outsiders, they often see it as like a really cynical way to look at the world, but I see it as a kind of a a more beautiful, positive way in a kind of a weird, twisted way in that like, no matter what, I'm not going to let this like steal everything I am. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let like, you know earthly events destroy me. Yes. Maybe for a time, Mm -hmm. like there's a time, um, where you need to go to those dark places, but I know whether it takes a year, five years or a decade, like I'll, I'll build back up out of it. Um, so trusting in that was really what got me through my pregnancy with her. Mm -hmm. Um, I really had to accept that she could die any day. Um, and for me that worked Mm -hmm. for others, it might not, Mm -hmm. but, um, do you feel like that made you able to be more present during the pregnancy or were you still kind of looking toward the end? Oh my gosh. I couldn't look to the end. I had to stay present. It really was about like knowing she was alive that day had to be like my beautiful gift of the day. Um, so feeling her move and checking in with her and like always remembering like this moment is, is only this moment. There is no yesterday. There is no tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Like I'm here. Mm -hmm. I'm with her. Uh, and I, I really had to rest in that because putting all of my hope l- later on, like none of that was guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And really with my pregnancy with Marie, looking back, I wish I had a little bit more of that. Like, I think we all kind of look back on pre-loss me mm-hmm. and sort of judge ourselves mm-hmm. a little bit. And I kind of judge myself for thinking, I don't know, pregnancy kind of felt like it was about me in mm-hmm. a sense. like. Mm-hmm. Cause it's hard to, it is really tough to connect with a baby that's inside of you that you can't see and cuddle and hold. It's amazing. You get to feel them move, but like you're carrying them. People are like commenting on your body, which you should never do. (laughs) People are commenting about you. Like I was also like a fitness instructor. So I was in front of people all day, every day. And then like cheerleading me on about like, oh my gosh, you're still here working out. And 
I kind of, like, I was really proud of myself. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, like, I wish I would have spent more time just thinking about her Mm -hmm. in the moment and just, like, marveling at the wonder of her being alive in my belly. Mm -hmm. I think I did some of it, but, like, not nearly to the level that I did with Freya. Mm -hmm. Um, With Freya, I just had to be that present because I never knew if that would be the last moment we would get. So I really didn't look to the finish line. There's also trauma and PTSD. Like, I couldn't think about labor and delivery because... I would get flashbacks to labor and delivery mm. with Marie and, it, mm-hmm. and I would just think about death. Like, so thinking about that with her, like visualizing labor, I had nothing to visualize, like nothing to go on except for my previous experience. Mm. And that memory is like so deep, deeply ingrained in you when it's your own child being mm-hmm. delivered. There was just no way I could think about any other outcome other than death. So I just sat in the present, sat with her every day, each day, one day at a time and eventually got here and, Time really went so slowly, and now I'm. She's six weeks old today, and I feel like the last six weeks have been so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how did yeah. you prepare? I mean, I know you said you couldn't think about labor and delivery, mm-hmm. but as it got closer, mm-hmm. you can't avoid thinking about it. Yeah. So, how did you prepare for that experience? And were you at the same place? Yeah, so same I hospital. At the same hospital. Um, we made the decision to deliver at 37 weeks. So, going in right away, I knew okay, three less weeks I have to wait than I, what I was used to with Marie. So, I knew I wouldn't be quite as uncomfortable. Um, but I did choose to write a birth plan, and I kind of wrote it with all those fundamental things I was just saying, like in mind. Like, it was about her, it wasn't about me. Um, you know, it was get her out safely, whatever that means, whatever you need, don't hesitate. Like I just really focused on it being about her. Mm -hmm. Um, I probably didn't, I don't think I addressed my birth plan until around 35 weeks. And what's nice about an early induction is like, chances are you're not going to go into labor early. Of course you can't, anything can happen. But like I knew when labor was going to, I knew when delivery was going to happen. So I really could afford to like wait, you know, Mm -hmm. I waited to do a lot of like my house cleanup and preparation until like the last two weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, cause it was just really tough to, to do that stuff early on. And then imagine if she didn't come home and then having to come home to everything prepared like Mm -hmm. we had before. Um, and then not having the baby to use this beautiful loving space you've created for them. Um, so yeah, about two weeks out, I started to allow myself to think about del- labor and delivery a little bit and just like did my research around induction. Cause I had had Pitocin, but like with Marie, but like my water had broken already mm-hmm. and I was in such, I was so distraught, mm-hmm. um, that I didn't really remember the details. So I, you know, did my research on induction and made sure I knew what to expect. And I talked to a couple of people who'd been induced and, um, just got educated on the things that I should worry about. Like I was, you know, I was concerned about like infection, like if they broke my water manually. So I wanted to make sure I was communicating with my doctor about that and making sure we were taking all preca- all precautions, like to not let that happen and not let me stay in labor too long with my water broken and all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, it just, I just had to wait until it was like, I had no choice but to, but to do something about it. Um, I also included Marie, like I wrote a little note at the top of my birth plan that was like, we've experienced loss. Mm. Um, our daughter Marie was still born at this hospital, uh, in, in 2018, like, please be respectful of our grief and our emotions. This could be a challenging day for us. I love that. Yeah. And that was good advice from another lost mom I met on Instagram, uh, who had done the same thing. Ultimately, I actually didn't really need it because my, like the whole staff knew my doctor was really good about that, which I think was a beautiful thing about having the same doctor who was Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, in my corner. 
Um, I also happen to know like a director on the floor in labor and delivery. So um, we were treated really, really well. That's and great. everyone was super respectful and like asked questions about Marie, which was great. And I put that in the birth plan too. Like you're allowed to mention Marie. Like let's not like, I didn't want anyone to pretend like it had never happened. Right. Like I live with this every day. Yeah. I think about her every day. So I get frustrated when people like don't want to broach the topic. It's like, I think about it constantly. Like I'm fine talking about it. Mm -hmm. I might cry, but I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty used to crying by now. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, we had an amazing labor and delivery experience um, with a really awesome staff that was just respectful and loving. And like I said, the nurse that delivered Marie was in the room. She wasn't our nurse for the day, but she like came in, she was on the floor and she came in specifically, like give me a hug when I was in labor and um, was there when she was born. Wow. And people, they took a bunch of pictures for us and, uh, it was great. My doctor actually shared with my parents that, um, I was the first lost mom who had had, um, I don't know if she meant like a miscarriage or like what gestation she meant, but she said, I've never had a lost mom come back to me and have a full term, like healthy delivery, which I thought was interesting. And I thinking about it, you know, I never really gave that much thought because it just, it was just simpler for me to just keep on the same path. But I think it is so hard to walk the same halls, to sit in the same waiting rooms. I had my six week postpartum appointment today and I was sitting there with her and it was like unreal sitting in the waiting room, this waiting room where I had just been like, I felt like a wet napkin, like just seeing these big pregnant bellies walking in and out of the door and these smiling faces and just feeling like everybody was so blissful. And it was just like, you have no idea what can go wrong. Mm Um, I sat there, you know, after my DNC, after my miscarriage, mm-hmm. uh, waiting for so many appointments, freaking out, like crying in front of strangers and to be there with her was pretty amazing. And, and also kind of just like normal, like it was kind of a normal moment. Like, oh my God, this, I'm finally a normal, like I look like a normal person mm-hmm. to everyone in here. Um, I can finally feel like I'm blending in, even though it's probably always blending in, I think. Post loss, I was kind of felt like everyone was staring at me. Yeah, probably part of my anxiety. Um, Like someone was going to ask me a question that would make me uncomfortable or Mm -hmm. make small talk that made me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it was good to. I'm glad I stuck with my doctor. I think we both got healing out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I for sure did. Um, And I'm sure she did too. And she was excited to see Freya today. (laughs) Little miracle baby. That's awesome. Yeah, that's good. Um, so you had that skin to skin moment. Mm-hmm. What, what was that first experience like of holding a living baby? Um, absolutely unreal in the most amazing way. It was incredible. Um, she was like, she was super sticky. We, we always, we call her a little booger. So call her a booger sometimes because she like, it just was so sticky and they just like plop around your belly and just, I, I don't know, all these things were happening that I had dreamed about for two years, mm-hmm. you know, um, two years of dreaming of that moment and hearing her, sc- I mean, I think hearing her scream was probably the most like, whoa mm-hmm. moment of it all when she came out and I, I, she was out in two pushes. So it all happened really, really fast. Wow. <laughs> it was all just really, really, really fast. Um, but it was just the most amazing, like I, I just couldn't believe that she was breathing, like feeling her body moving and warm was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I don't know, things were so quiet after I had Marie. Everyone in the room was Mm -hmm. just like, everyone was crying, but that kind of crying where you're trying to hold it back and Mm -hmm. not be the one that everyone hears crying, but we're all crying. Mm -hmm. Um, I like 
distinctly remember like my doctor's sniffles and like my nurses, like the tears on their faces when I had Marie and just no joy in that room whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so to have this complete 180 of like, it was just the most light, joyful. I mean, but then of course I was sobbing, like I was sobbing uncontrollably, just like so relieved. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that moment of her being on my skin too, it's this release of pressure pregnant when you're pregnant. It, I don't know. I felt just so much pressure, even though I was probably like more out of control than I am now. Like as far as taking care of her goes, like when you're pregnant, you're really not in control, but it's in your body, which is such a weird experience. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, you can count kicks. Yes. You can do all these things, but ultimately it's mostly out of your hands. Mm -hmm. It's mostly out of your control. There's only so much you can do when Mm -hmm. they're in utero. So this moment of like, oh my God, the pressure is off of me and my body. Like I'm no longer responsible for knowing if she's not kicking right or, you know, knowing if I feel off. I mean, I feel all sorts of pressure now in parenting, but I I don't know. I just feel a little bit more confident Mm -hmm. in my parenting with her here on earth alive on the outside. Mm -hmm. Um, than I did when pregnant because it's just so hard to know. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to know what's going on in there mm-hmm. and what questions to ask. And if your medical provider is saying, is giving you all the information or, you know, or what research you're doing, that's not right. And you talk to other women whose doctors say different things. And it's just like a lot of noise and it's just really hard to feel confident. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I think kick counts is just one nice, solid, structured way to feel confident mm-hmm. in checking in on your baby. Mm-hmm. But You've also shared that babies don't, slow down as yeah. the pregnancy progresses, which is a, a common Huge myth for myth. some reason. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really important thing to talk about too. Mm-hmm. Just like babies don't slow down. Yeah. The movements might change. The yeah. sensation might change, but their patterns should be the same. They should still be moving at the same times of the day and moving just as frequently. It just might not feel like a kick. It might feel more like a roll. Um, but every baby will be different. Like I kind of felt like she kicked all the way through to the end. Other people would say something different about their baby. So it's a really beautiful thing. Getting to know your baby, your unique baby that you're growing will have its own patterns. And I think it's just really important to tune into those and be present every Mm -hmm. day so you can really learn, learn about your baby. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's a lot of pressure for a pregnant mom, especially being pregnant after a loss. And I, you know, I felt responsible for my whole family, my whole extended circle. Like everyone really wanted this. I hate to say it, happy ending. Right. I don't think of Freya as a happy ending. Right. Like there's no end. I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. Like I'm still here on earth living the same story. All the same stuff still happened to me. I still lost Marie. I still had a miscarriage of twins. Um, I still have a rainbow baby. All of that will always have happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't like to think of it as like an ending. However, I think other people see it that way. Like, whoo, the pressure's off. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of that for me, but, um, yeah, I just felt a lot of responsibility to like fulfill everyone else's vision Mm -hmm. of my happy ending. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, God, if something happens to this baby, so many people's lives are going to be, feel so shitty Mm -hmm. beyond just mine. Mm -hmm. Like, cause it's been hard for my family to see Mm -hmm. me go through something so terrible and be not the same me that I once was, Mm -hmm. um, for many, many months and still not, not the same in many fundamental ways as I once was and probably never will be. Mm -hmm. Which I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done probably over time, accepting that mm-hmm. and just getting used to the, the new things about me. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the joy I once had that was gone 
is is coming back, which is good. That's so good to hear. Because <laughs> I know some people struggle with, well, even just postpartum. Like everyone has a different postpartum experience regardless of whether you've experienced a loss before. Mm-hmm. So if you have that compounded with having lost a child, like I've heard other stories where the grief just gets amplified almost Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, depression and anxiety can come in Mm -hmm. even more so. And, um, and so I'm, I'm so glad that you're having a joyful experience. I know that it's probably hard and, you know, you haven't been sleeping and all those normal things, but I would imagine that those are in a a certain way, like welcomed Mm -hmm. because of, you know, you when you know what you've lost, it makes you maybe appreciate those things more. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And, and for me, I'm really all about it all kind of existing together. Um, the joy and the pain, Mm -hmm. like the pain that I, that I will always carry, Mm -hmm. um, over losing Marie and kind of the, the breakdown of of the miscarriage and losing the twins. That's always, that pain is always going to be there there's just more joy to help me carry it mm-hmm. now, I think. And I, I don't know. I think whether Freya, I, I mean, with Freya here, it makes things so much easier. Like I, I think I'd be in a, probably a tougher place if I didn't have my rainbow baby here. Um, but I also think we all, that's kind of the, the story of life is like building back up that joy bucket. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it. So you decide to put the pain bucket down. Like you mm-hmm. just carry both. Like mm-hmm. it's all a part of you. Um, so I never want to be like, oh, it's a big, joyful, like change. I'm not sad anymore. A lot of us lost moms struggle with that because it's really hard to communicate that you feel both. Mm -hmm. Like, but I really want to allow myself to feel that full and complete joy, knowing that I'm also carrying the pain and Mm -hmm. I'm working on, it's a continuous battle for me to not worry what other people think, Mm -hmm. not worry if people think I'm healed and I don't feel like I'm healed. Like if they think I'm healed good for them. Like that's fine. It doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks. And that's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. And I don't always like achieve that every Mm -hmm. day, not, not caring, but, um, yeah, I, I would say the grief piece, there have been moments where it's been amplified and intensified by going through the living baby motions with Freya and fully now understanding everything we missed out on with Marie. And I'd say it was most intense during the first week. Um, like, wow, we thought we lost out on a lot, but now living it with her, like this is everything we were supposed to have with Marie. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, I don't know if I blocked it out to some extent after I had Marie just to like protect myself or or whatever. But it was, there were some intense moments where I would just like look at her and just sob, Mm -hmm. um, knowing that I should have had that with my first daughter. Um, and I didn't, and that, it will always be that way. Mm-hmm. And that just sucks. Mm-hmm. And thinking about what a different type of parent I would be now, you know, with two, we have a double Bob like stroller and I take her on walks in all the time. And every time I just think about like the little girl that would be on the other side of that Bob. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's heartbreaking and painful. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, complete and utter joy over her. It's mm-hmm. all for me, just an, an, and it's a, feeling both. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think a lot of us probably cling to a lot of the pain because our memory of our child that was lost, like the pain is a lot of, it's, it's a big chunk of what we have of them and letting that go can often feel like letting their memory go, letting them go. Um, and 
that's tough. Mm -hmm. So I can see why sometimes we just like need to put the pain forward and Mm -hmm. and share it. And I try to do that as much as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of you've done a really great (laughs) job of, of not hiding your grief and your pain. Cause I know every time I feel like when I've, you know, read something that you've written about those really hard days or weeks or, or moments, um, it, it invites me to feel comfortable in my own feelings that are similar. So I think that is so important, even for people who haven't gone through this exact experience of loss, but any, you know, everyone has a certain amount of grief that they carry. And so I think by sharing, we give other people permission then to acknowledge their own pain. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm curious, have you come across the book healing through the dark emotions? I haven't. I think I've seen you post about it. Yeah. It's been on my list. Miriam Greenspan. Yeah. I need to read that one. It's, I mean, it's like you're already, you've already experienced it and kind of found the same ideas on your own, but you might appreciate reading it. And she just talks about how there's no way around the dark emotions, but of course our instinct, we don't want to feel pain. Mm -hmm. So we, we try to numb or, you know, look the other direction, Mm -hmm. but definitely did some of that. Yeah, totally. We drank a lot of wine after my (laughs) miscarriage and spent two weeks on the couch doing nothing but texting lost moms. Yes. And watching The Walking Dead, yeah. like really sad and pathetic things now, but but yeah. not but not right. Like that's okay, right? Sometimes you just have to be in the shit of yes. it all. You know, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to. You're allowed to. Yes, <laughs> yeah. we're talking about shitty have. things here. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Sitting in that dark stuff is just part of it. Yeah, you just have to. I loved what you said about hope too, because just not putting all of your hope in that rainbow baby. Cause for me, that's important with this podcast. I don't want to, um, necessarily give that wrong message or that impression that like, yeah, the, the way to healing after pregnancy loss is with another baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and you totally verbalized how I feel too. And that's been my path over the last year is, is making, having that same realization of like, we might not be able to have a biological child of our own. We're still very hopeful and, you know, odds are in our favor at this point, but mm-hmm. I had to c- come to terms with that and then find where, where do I want to put my hope? Mm-hmm. And, um, I was, uh, I don't, I can never, I don't like the word lucky, but I was, I'm grateful that early on I had an experience in my grief journey, like in the first week of being home with Ellis that, um, I had a moment at an, in an evening where I truly wanted to die. You know, I'm sure most people have that moment and yeah. And, you know, was wishing that I was dead. And then the next night had an inexplicable experience of hope and it wasn't for anything specific. It wasn't for having another baby. It was just like hope that I can go on. Mm -hmm. And I think that was absolutely divine intervention And, um, and so since then, I feel like I've had just that, that sense of hope that regardless of the outcome, like what you said, um, that things are going to be somehow okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've seen is that most people who want to have a rainbow baby some way or another, you know, get a rainbow baby, mm-hmm. whether that's through adoption or, um, you know, there are many different paths, but... Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that 
um, your path has brought you, Freya. And um, like you said, it's not the end of your story. It's just kind of a, a chapter, a beautiful yeah, chapter. Just another part. Um, and then, yeah, that, that hope, um, the hope concept of, you know, hope not in a specific outcome. I sometimes worry if I'm the person walking around preaching that, that I'll get the like, well, it's easy for you to say because you have your baby. Right. Um, but truly, I think it's what got me through carrying her. And yeah. The reality is we don't know what will happen tomorrow. God forbid something ever would happen to Freya. Yeah. But like every, the today is finite. Like it's nothing is guaranteed Mm -hmm. for tomorrow. And so I think like living with that kind of current of that inexplicable, can't put words around it. Hope is, it's just so important for humanity Mm -hmm. to be a person walking on earth. You need it. Um, to feel fulfilled in life and to know that you'll have the strength to carry on no matter what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Shannon, for sharing your story. Thanks for having me. It's I so know. cool that you're uh, in my house. I, know. It's so cool. <laughs> I love it. I know. I so, just like admire you so much and uh, admire all your writing. And truly, I remember sitting with you at lunch that first meeting and I think we talked about it. Like yes. felt like we were looking in a mirror, yes. like, I don't know. Just yeah. something about like companionship in the journey is just so important. Yeah. And gets us through. We come from the Instagram generation. Yes. And I like the amazing things I've seen unfold through Instagram connections in the past year and a half has it's just like absolutely mind blowing. It's and incredible. It's helped me survive those moments like that you were saying where sometimes you just don't wanna be alive yeah. when things are that hard. Yeah. And I always think I wish there was a word for that. Um, weird, but friends and companionship gets you through it. Yeah. So I'm so grateful that you came here and that you're doing your podcast. I'm so proud of you. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited for you. Well, I know your story is going to help make other people feel less alone. Um, and I think it's going to be powerful for people to hear your voice. So, um, this is another great medium, kind of like Instagram of just helping, helping us to all know we're not alone in this journey. So. I hope this episode was meaningful for you. To connect with me, you can visit taylorashleybates.com and also find me on Instagram. Please share this podcast with anyone you know who is walking through life after pregnancy loss, whether they are trying to conceive, currently pregnant, or parenting after loss. And please subscribe and review this podcast. Your feedback will help shape this podcast and will also help others to find it. Stay tuned for the next episode, where I'll respond to more listener-generated questions, and I'll also give you an update on our second IVF frozen embryo transfer. By that point, we'll know if the transfer was successful. Until next time, I'm Taylor Bates. Thank you so much for listening.